If I came out here, like I did, and walked up to you and I said, follow me. If you've never been here before, <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> if you've never been here before and you see me walk out dressed like this, you might understand I'm going to bake a cake, right? No. So you might understand if I come out dressed like this and I walk up to you and I say, follow me, you're like, oh, we're going on a hike. Uh, and then you have a whole bunch of things that your brain fills in the gap with. Now, if you've been here a while, heard me preach a few times, joined us last year on Good Friday, you have more understanding of what it might mean if I walk up to you and I say, follow me, you might say, sure, I'm in. Where are we going? What time are we meeting? Now, if you're really close to me, and you say hike with me regularly, and I say follow me, all you say is what time are we meeting? Similarly, if I know you really well, I said this to one friend this week and a, a sister, I said if I do this metaphor and I walk up to you and I say follow me, what are the thoughts that you have, and they're like, I don't know if I can do it, because I know you, and I don't know if I can follow you. And to that I say, well, I know you too. So if I said to you, follow me, I could choose a path of your capability. When Jesus said to the first disciples, follow me, it meant something. And they knew what it meant because of the time they were living in. Just like I say to you, follow me, and you're like, nah. oh, I know what that means. There's hills involved and rocks involved and sliding involved. And if you were here, any points of my preaching and talking about hiking, there's injury involved for me. Maybe not for you. Today's message is called Follow Me. And the main point, and this was a really risky move, and I'm just thankful that there's a camera and I can loosely see what's going on with this. Because if I preach in a toque, I'm gonna overheat and pass out and be another medical emergency for this morning. So we're not gonna do that today. But the main point of today is that when Jesus said, follow me to the first disciples, it meant specific things. And understanding those intent and cost and the invitation to those disciples helps us follow the way of Jesus in 2023. Appreciating that when Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, it was a big deal. And when he said it, it meant something. And understanding that meaning helps us. It informs us. 
We're doing this series on following the way of Jesus. Pastor Joel launched it last week. We just got the bumper this week. It's kind of dramatic and intense. And then we do the bloopers and we laugh a little bit. And I hope that the joy of this journey mixes with the intentionality of this journey, the purpose, the beauty, the mess. Following the way of Jesus is all of these things. Shortly after the baptism and temptation of Christ, which Pastor Joel talked about last week, Jesus begins teaching, and in that teaching then becomes the acquisition of disciples, which was part of the time of the day. That was what happened. Teachers of the Torah, teachers of scripture, the rabbis that would travel around, they were itinerant, they would move around and they would acquire followers, disciples. And understanding that helps us understand following the way of Jesus. So in Matthew 3, verses 18 to 22, it says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Zebedee is a highly underused name these days. <laughs> I dare you, anybody. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The first point today is that follow me meant something to the first disciples. Jesus, as an itinerant teacher, rabbi, person who was instructing people on the way of scripture, would have acquired disciples. And that process of discipleship acquisition was arduous. It was rigorous. It was a robust process by which the disciples would somewhat make application to the rabbi. They would present their ability to learn, their knowledge of scripture, which would have included a large percentage of memorization. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized at a minimum at this time. Then it would have gone on to the writings and the poetry of the Old Testament. And the students of the rabbis would show their knowledge of scripture by talking about what they know, talking about what they understand, who they studied under. And they would have presented themselves and made a case for their position as a disciple. And then the rabbi would have said, follow me. That was the sealing of the deal. It was at the end of the process of knowing and trusting that this person could learn and represent me as a teacher. Jesus flips the script. He comes walking along the beach, sees these people and says, follow me. Did they show him their ability to memorize scripture? No. They actually, if you look at the other texts that surround this point in John and Luke, 
they actually show that they're not that great of a fisherman because they had no fish. And Jesus does this whole thing and sends them out to get more. And then in those texts says, follow me. Jesus flips the narrative of discipleship and says to these fishermen, and as we continue, tax collectors, follow me. Which meant that he believed in them. He believed in them. The teacher believes in me would have been one of the thoughts that they had when Jesus says, follow me. They would have understood this rabbi believes I can follow him. This rabbi believes I can know him, know his ways, know his teachings, be with him, be in relationship with him. This rabbi believes in me. When Jesus calls to us and says, follow me, it's because he believes in us. He believes in who we are and who we are becoming. In John 1, we see more disciples following. And it says this, finding Philip, Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, who we've just read about, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Jesus saw Nathanael. Jesus knew Nathanael. He spoke of Nathanael like he knew his heart. He spoke of Nathanael like he knew who he was and where he was. Jesus knows us. Jesus sees us and still calls us to follow him. We are not disqualified by who we are and what we've done and where we've been and what we still think of. Jesus calls us to follow him with a deep belief in the fact that we can. Jesus believed that they were the ones to carry his yoke. One of the things they would have known about this process of discipleship is that it wasn't a matter of learning 
facts and figures. It wasn't a matter of learning, this is the scripture that supports this theological thought. It wasn't a matter of learning the things. It was a matter of becoming. The main word that is used to articulate this relationship is imitation. And in our hearing, imitation can sound like an annoying child repeating everything you say, doesn't it? Anybody ever played the mimic game where they won't stop repeating what you're saying? Imitation can have a false or a fake or a, an odd sense of stop copying me. But that's what this process was about. It was about walking with, relating with. As Pastor Joel mentioned last week, they were so closely connected and following that the dust from the rabbi's sandals would flick up and get all over the disciples that were with him. And it was a blessing of the day to be, to be said, may you be covered in the dust of the rabbi that we would be so connected, so aware of. The goal was that should the rabbi die, the disciples would be able to pick up the exact mannerisms. And it wasn't fake and it wasn't frowned upon and it wasn't annoying. It was the way the teaching was carried forward that they would become the very voice of Jesus. That is our calling, that Jesus so believed in them that they would come alongside him and learn to speak like he speaks and love like he loves and care and heal as we go on today and this series. They would be so connected with the teacher that they became like him. That is the belief in the phrase, follow me. And it still rings true today. Jesus still comes to each of us and says, follow me with that belief that we can. And that relationship, the next point in the, the notes today, the notes are online, is that the learning affects my living. Like I've just been saying, the whole goal of this relationship was imitation. It was to become like the teacher, to become like the rabbi. The education was not to know, which I am just so thankful for. I am an intelligent person, but it took me a long time to realize that because I cannot do tests to save my life. The kind of tests where you have to memorize things and like multiple choice and not have a book in front of you and remember the stuff, blank. Like, really a struggle. I cannot do tests. I am a very intelligent person, but it took me till after high school to realize that because in high school, everything was tests. And I had a great way of working with my teachers. I apologize, any teachers that ever see this. I would bomb a test and then I would petition the teacher to give me work so that I could bring my mark up. And I was relentless. 
There was no getting around a failed final for me. I was like, what can I do? I'm not dumb. I'm not, I'm not dumb. I know this material. But when I sit with a test, today they'd probably give me some extra time or whatever. But back in the day, because um, there is a bit of a back in the day with me, um, I would face a test, I would fail a final, or I've struggled with tests, and then I would just go to the teacher and be like, what can I do? I was way more this kind of learning from the get-go. Let me show you what I know by how I interact with this material. It was not knowledge acquisition. It was becoming. It was a becoming process. We've already read from Matthew 3, but Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. It was a journey that began at some point. And then as we go through this series, we're going to see that they were angry disciples and they were insecure people and they were not the best of the best of the best and Jesus journeyed with them and showed them and taught them and walked with them and prayed with them and instructed them and corrected them. It was a journey. I used in a sermon last year the metaphor of hiking as a metaphor for my own spiritual formation where I started hiking and I had running shoes and if you've done any amount of hiking, you know that running shoes are not the footwear of choice. And then you discover that when I put on these boots, these boots have this solid base, and this solid base means rocks and roots. You don't feel them the same way. Where if you're wearing running shoes and I step on a rock, I can usually feel it in the bottom of my foot. These boots, they can step on a lot of rocks. And then I discovered a backpack because I used to hike without water and I discovered that's dumb <laughs> and snacks and then sweat wicking fabric and then poles. Oh, glory be. They are not just for older walkers. They are so fantastic on steep ups and steep downs. It's a process of journeying in faith. I know this much. And then I read scripture and I discover, oh, forgiveness. And then I read or hear a sermon and discover prayer. And we discover depths and riches and we continue to grow and continue to understand and continue to appreciate. Even just a couple of weeks ago when we did the, journey, the week of prayer, I was here one night and I was kneeling in worship and I felt like God highlighted something in my heart that I didn't wanna see. And he just spoke to it and, and called out a follow me point. And it's a follow me towards forgiveness, which forgiveness is a, just a big process. And it just about get, got started like two weeks ago. I'm still very much in the middle of it. 
But our journey of faith doesn't end. We continue to discover the depths and the heights of this relationship. The third point under this one is the primary learning outcome is to have God at the center of life. So the teacher believes in me and this learning affects my living and the ultimate learning outcome is that God would be at the center of life. And this was understood when follow me was said, they knew this was the center of this teaching was going to become the center of my life. That all of my interactions would be related to this teaching. The primary outcome is to have Jesus at the center of life as the primary filter through which we view the world. I see the things, I see the people, I see the opportunities, I see work. I see frustration and the filter I wear is Christ. That's the goal. That God would be at the center of my decisions. That God would be at the center of my work. At the center of my relationships. At the center of my finances. At the center of my conflict at the center of my decisions, at the center of my health and well-being, at the center of my time, at the center of prayer, that God would be at the center of their existence. During the week of prayer, I um, decided to not be on social media. I didn't think it was a thing until I took it away. And then I realized how much time, just you know, in the middle of waiting or when I'd been focused on something for a long period of time or just to unwind at the end of the evening, how easy it was to just flip open my phone and scroll. And how many times I caught myself during the week where I had taken the apps off my phone. They're not really off my phone. They were just off the home screen. And I just felt like this silly little thing, but God at the center of my time became very highlighted that week. I was like, how much time do I waste in life? Watching things, hearing things, reading things that don't fuel my faith. Jesus becomes the center of their existence as disciples. And that is the same Thing for us. Jesus becomes the center of our existence, our generosity, our connection, our love. Follow me meant something to the first disciples. Likewise, today, Jesus believes in us and calls us to follow him in a process of becoming a person with God at the center of our life. The second point today, it might sound like I've already done the second point today, but if you have the notes in front of you, which are online, um, point one had a few points under it. So joke's on you. This is a six-point sermon, five-point sermon, something like that. But good news, we're at point number four, so we're almost done-ish. Um, point number two, 
the big two, uh, is this. Follow me cost something for the disciples. There was a cost. A very literal cost to the first disciples was they followed Jesus. Scripture later talks about the disciples. Some, some others wanted to become Jesus' disciples. And in this teaching in, in Luke 14, Jesus says two phrases that are, that are big and indicative of the commitment and the cost. And he says this in 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he says this in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The actual first disciples, Peter and John, who we have heard about, left everything to follow Jesus. They literally left family, work, hometown, and went on the road with Jesus, learning his ways. We don't do that in 2023. I am not looking for people to move into my life and follow me every moment of the day and learn. And I'm pretty sure Pastor Joel's not either. That's not the way of 2023. But this informs our understanding of discipleship in that we leave our past. We leave our priorities to become like Jesus in our present and future and in our priorities, we leave those things. We leave our comfort, our worldviews, our ownership, our grudges, our pain, our entitlement, our rights, our brokenness, we leave those things and follow Christ to become generous, whole, joyful, peaceful, kind, The disciples left and followed. We will be constantly presented the opportunity to leave and follow. Some of our costs might be pride. That I would come in humility and share my life with people. Met with a new life group that was mostly new people to me just this past week. And I'm humbled and humbled again when we have the opportunity to learn and grow and meet new people. Because it's a choice to connect and let down our guards and share our stories. It's a choice to step out of maybe my pride of where I've gotten to or the pride of how successful I am or the pride of you know, being in counseling and on my journey and humbly sharing a point of need or a, a point of connection or just a, a point of love. Some of the common costs include comfort, our comfort of 
managing my time, of being the master of my time and abilities, being comfortable with the people I'm comfortable with. It gets uncomfortable to meet new people. It gets uncomfortable to step out and follow. It gets uncomfortable to stop and care for people in the midst of our day. And another common cost is our time. Because our time is precious. And in this world where there are so many demands and it seems like so much spills our time, one of the common costs is a priority of, God, what, what would you have me do with my time? How, how do you want me to spend my time? It's yours. Do with it what you will. Our costs are not human efforts. I'm not coming at this in a way of earning my right to be a disciple. I'm not, that's not this. This is the process of coming into relationship and having my past left, my pain left, and coming to appreciate that my cost is nothing compared to Christ's. Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. There is nothing that I can do to earn this, but it is a costly journey. The third point, well, just a little bit before that, <laughs> to, to, to tie in the hiking metaphor, I was talking to people about preaching the other day, and I'm like, you gotta keep the metaphor going. You can't just like drop it. If you're gonna commit like this, <laughs> Never worn this to preach it. <laughs> Anybody want to hike after? Um, hiking still costs me. I've hiked regularly for three years now. Did 36 hikes last year. And it still costs me. I get home after a hike and I'm tired. And eat like there is not enough food in the world. to. By the time I get home from a hike, I'm like... Like ravenous. It still costs me. It will always cost me. It costs the physical body something, and then the next level of hike, the next height of gain, the next length of distance, it costs the physical body something. And if I take a break for a period of time, heaven help my muscles because I get back into it and they're like, ow, ow, ow. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? It still costs something, regardless of if I've been in relationship with Jesus a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we still come to cost. There's still costs. In some ways it gets easier because my relationship and his faithfulness has demonstrated that he is worthy of every price. But there is still those points of Really? Forgive? Are you sure? The third point today is that follow me invited the disciples to participate in ministry. 
It invited the disciples to participate in ministry. And before I go any further, that word ministry gets people stuck. I teach a course at the Bible call at Pacific Life Bible College over in Surrey, and it's my spring semester course, so I'm teaching it right now. And the course is called Life and Ministry in the Holy Spirit. In the first lecture, I say, how many of you are planning to go in minist into ministry? And the hands are becoming fewer and fewer because there's just people that, I don't know, waking up to the fact that being a pastor is not easy. I don't know why, but the hands are becoming fewer and fewer. And then I said, okay, let's reframe that question. How many of you in whatever you want to do with your life after we spend some time in the college classroom want to serve Jesus with your life? All the hands. That's ministry. Ministry isn't here. Yeah, it is, but it isn't. That's not the goal of relationship with Jesus. That's not the goal of the discipleship process is that we would all replicate a teaching gift or a preaching gift or a worship leading gift or an upfront thing. We are all called to participate in the ministry of God through our lives. Jesus, Pastor Joel didn't get to this point and if you had the notes last week, you're like, oh, that would have been a very temptation anointing this would have been a really good passage of scripture but i get to use it so <laughs> that's okay i was going to use it regardless of whether he preached on it because this sums up the way of jesus and his belief in us that we would be able to walk in this and it says this in luke chapter 4 jesus returned to galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, as was his custom to go to synagogue. That's a sermon unto its own. Um, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He goes out and then starts saying, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And do you know what? They're following him towards a life of anointing to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the oppressed, to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind and the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is our calling. The gospel. We just came through Christmas and the angels say to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. The gospel of Jesus through my life. The freedom of Jesus from prisons of darkness, of shame, of pain, of trauma. <clears throat> 
freedom from prisons, healing, physical, emotional, mental, healing, deliverance from oppression of the enemy, from the works of the enemy, from the oppression of our past, deliverance and favor, all goodness, all mercy, all love, the presence of God, the provision of God. Our lives are meant to proclaim these things. That is who we are as followers of Jesus. We are becoming more and more of the gospel of freedom, of deliverance, of healing, of favor through our lives. It isn't just a posture of receiving and consuming and becoming inwardly more like Christ. It is a posture of becoming inwardly my life in Christ and outwardly the ministry of Christ through my life. What does it look like for Jesus to be evident in and through your life? Worship team, we're wrapping up. When Jesus said to the first disciples, follow me, it meant specific things to them. For us, we are invited into relationship with God that places him at the center of life affecting how we live, affecting how we love, affecting how we serve the people around us. My encouragement and my question for all of us today is how is Jesus saying, follow me to you? And where you're at and what you're facing what does follow me speak to your life today? Father, I thank you. I thank you for favor. I thank you for good news of great joy. I thank you for healing and deliverance. I thank you for your ways that are life and life abundant. I thank you. I thank you that at your name, Jesus, the knees of doubt and sickness, of deceit and despair bow in your presence, I thank you. God, today would we hear you speaking to us and saying, follow me. With the grace that's in that word, with the hope that's in that word, with the love that's in those words, God, let us hear you calling us to follow you. And let us have the courage to follow. The courage to accept your belief in us. The courage to place you at the center of all of life the courage to trust your love and your ways. God, give us courage today 
to follow again and again. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.